stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Here's something I wrote way back in October. There's an old joke about question period. Something to the effect of there's a reason it's not called answer period. Although I suppose you'd have to be pretty cynical to appreciate the humor. Lately, the liberals have become a living embodiment of that joke as they deflect and dodge legitimate questions about Finance Minister Bill Morneau and the potential conflicts of interest he may have placed himself in. Almost every time the opposition press the government on those questions, the liberals instead fall back on their talking points about how well the economy is doing or how much the finance minister is doing to help Canadians. So they were making a mockery of question period then. It's happening again now. This week, there have been obvious and very pointed questions about this mess that the liberals created for themselves in India. And the dueling and conflicting conspiracy theories they've trotted out to try to explain all this away. Rogue elements in the India government and also, by the way, that backbencher who it's all his fault. But I mean, not only are they not answering the question, they're, they're really just changing the subject. Questions getting asked about the India debacle, answers about the budget. It's, it's absurd and it's frustrating. And, and the conservatives were clearly getting frustrated and the NDP urging the speaker to do something about it. And he just kind of threw up his hands. What are you going to do? They can stand up and start moving their mouth, but in terms of what comes out, that's, that's up to them. So is this something the voters have to sort out at the next election? Or, you know, does the House of Commons need to deal with this? That if question periods going to exist, that it shouldn't be a farce. It should be an opportunity to ask tough questions and get answers to those questions. John Iveson, national columnist for the National Post and covers Parliament. He wrote about this issue this week, and, and he's fed up, I think, like a lot of people are. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. We hear this a lot from people. They, they, they watch Question Period, or they hear these clips of, of Question Period, and, and it's this source of frustration for them that, well, what, what's the point of all of this? The, the, the questions aren't actually being answered. It just seems like it's, it's, it's a farce. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's long been the case. Um, you know, I've been sitting watching this thing for 15 years or more, and uh, and it goes through phases of being, I suppose, worse and, and better, depending on who's in power. Um, but it's pretty constant that the you know the, the idea originally is that this is the chance for the legislature to um, or the legislative arm to uh, to question the executive arm and hold the government to account. It doesn't really tend to work like that. Nobody the questions get asked, and and usually you get an unsatisfactory non-answer from the from the government side, and that's that's now kind of baked in whatever government's there. Although Justin Trudeau's promised to do politics differently and and um, uh, and was going to reform question period and it was going to be uh, this new thing of prime minister's questions that was going to make a huge amount of difference yet in the new and improved prime minister's questions on Wednesday he totally ignored the question that was asked of him um, and I, th- I thought that was a new nadir of, of the descent into disrepute for this for this parliament because generally you would at least give a non-answer on the same topic that you were asked here he just ignored the question and read out the one that he would prefer had been asked and that seemed to me to be a, a not a positive development right and i mean it seems as though the, the minimum here is that the, the person stand up and provide some kind of answer that i guess the prime minister could just stand up and just start reciting his his favorite poem or reading from the phone book or, or something there's yeah. no real expectation that the actual question be addressed well, at that point, if 
the government side is merely going to answer the question it would prefer was asked, not the one that was asked, we might as well all go home. And I think that the, the $500 million or more that, Can- that Canadians spend on Parliament, we might as well just wrap it all up. Certainly that segment of it, and we should probably not have it screened on TV, and um, it just becomes a total farce at that stage. So uh, we'll, we wait to see whether this is the, the start of something new or whether it was just a, an aberration. But but it does raise the question, because all the Conservative MPs immediately turned to the Speaker and went, you know, come on, you're meant to be the referee. Where's the relevancy here? And the Speaker held his hands up and said, well, there is no relevancy rule. The Speaker moderates decorum in the House, but does not... Uh, attest to the quality of the question or the answer. Um, I, I take a little bit of issue with that. I mean, I think that the, the, the Speaker does have discretion. We've seen... There is, it's true that nowhere in, in Westminster system, New Zealand, South Africa, UK, do does the Speaker control the quality of the answers. But they have more discretion than he's making out, which is essentially saying, well, there's nothing I can do here. Speakers tend to weigh in now and again. They will they will uh, rule questions out of order. They will interrupt members for using unparliamentary language. Um, I remember Andrew Shear used to say that unless you make a link with the, the administrative responsibilities of the government, uh, at the time people were using the, the questions just as a preamble to, to criticise the government, uh, he said unless you get pretty quickly to the, to the point, then the question will be ruled out of order. Right. Now, if you can regulate the questions, why can you not regulate the answers? And there is a guideline, it's not in the standing orders, but there was a guideline adopted in the 60s which said you have to talk about the question that was asked or deal with the matter that was raised. And it seems to me that the Speaker could say, well, you're not dealing with the matter raised, please try again. Well, you could. I mean, I suppose we could go even further and, and change those rules or, or specify the guidelines to make it even more abundantly clear. Right, right. I mean, the, 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 the it's, the House is its own master. If the, through the Committee of Procedures and House Affairs it decided we, here, we're going to amend the standing orders and from now on uh, you have to answer the question and, and the questions have to be uh, factual and not political rants, then you know it, it could all become much better. I think the only way to do that, though, is to embarrass them sufficiently to, to, to get their act together. You know, I mean, I spoke to the, the former law clerk, Rob Walsh, who was in there for you know, decades. He's, he, he'd seen it all, and he said the current system does have inbuilt political accountability, and I agree to that with that to some extent. You know, the government has to rise. Although in the past, he, re, he recalled an occasion where Herb Gray, the former deputy prime minister, didn't like the question and just sat there, so he didn't rise. But but by you know by practice, the government rises and responds in some manner, and if it doesn't, it faces the political consequences. And he said by trying to reform form that and giving the Speaker the, vet, the right to vet questions and answers, you'd make things worse. Well, I'm not sure that they could be much worse, and I think that if this kind of non-secateur politics takes hold where, where you don't even address the question, then at some point there needs to be some adult supervision, and either the Speaker starts to flex his muscles or... We as a, as taxpayers paying for it all just demand it be better. I mean, you look at an issue like this India scandal that the government's fending questions off, and, and you can sort of understand why they're changing the subject because they've kind of trapped themselves in this situation where there really is no good answer to these questions about these conflicting conspiracy theories and why, why they weren't aware of, of who this Jasper Atwell was. So um, I guess if it's between providing an answer that makes them look bad or just not answering the question at all, which kind of makes them look maybe less bad in a different way, it seems as though they're opting for the latter. 
Well, I mean, you know, it's it's ever been thus that the the opposition parties are trying to embarrass the government, and but we we haven't strayed into this territory before, or although we we came close to it when when Paul Calandra, remember the oh yes, famous occasions where he he was asked by Tom Mulcair about uh, Canada's mission to Iraq, and then proceeded to attack the NDP's position in Israel in response. Now. That created such a, a groundswell of disagreement on the conservative side. He was forced to apologise. He came out, if you remember, he came out with his teary apology, apology, saying that it wouldn't happen again. And uh, you know, I mean, it was pretty bad. But he wasn't the prime minister, and for the prime minister to do this, it's uh, it's it takes it to another level, I think. Um, particularly given the fact that he was the guy who said he was going to clean it all up. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's there's an argument that ultimately, you know, the voters can decide if they think a government's not being transparent or not living up to their commitments or being intransigent on, on important issues or making a mockery of, of question period that ultimately will be the judges of them. Yeah, and I think that's that's Rob Walsh's point. And, and you know, maybe he's right, but it just struck me this one is so egregious. It was worthy of comment. And, you know, frankly, you know, we I, I write columns just about every day and sometimes they get a huge response and sometimes they don't but this one did you know this obviously touches a nerve with anybody who's watching politics and they think yeah that's right this is terrible this could be you know this should be the 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 forum where the government explains itself and you know they and they and also that the opposition asks sensible questions Mm -hmm. and it has just descended into Travesty, if not farce, because um, you know when when the questions themselves are not even addressed, then let's just pack the whole thing up. They're going to pack it up. I would just say, don't bother unpacking it. Right. I mean, the the, the, cent- the center block up in the hill here is going to be uh, closed by the end of end of the year, and we've spent vast amounts of money putting uh, in the in the west block a new. Uh, chamber for for this just this time of thing. I, frankly, you know, if it's going to be this bad, why bother? That's a good question. Well, people can read uh, your column on this, and of course, uh, more about these other controversies that the government would uh, just as soon not speak to. Nationalpost.com. John, thanks so much for joining us. here. really appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. All right, there you go, John Ibsen with the National Post. Uh, since we're strolling down memory lane. I mean, it gives you an idea of how far back this this problem goes and making a mockery of question period. Uh, Here's a bit of a montage from one particular day last May. Has the Prime Minister met with the Ethics Commissioner? And if so, how many times? Very, very soon. Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, uh, I am pleased to work with the Ethics Commissioner commissioner uh, to answer any questions she may have. That's what Canadians expect of the Prime Minister, and that's exactly what I'm doing. How many times has the Prime Minister communicated with the Ethics Commissioner? Answer the question. I will give the same answer. I'm happy to work with the Ethics Commissioner on any questions uh, she may have. And one of the things that I like about uh, Prime Minister's question period is I get to take questions uh, from any MP across the way who has their questions, not just the party leaders. How many times has he communicated with the Ethics Commissioner? the Ethics Commissioner to answer any questions that she might have. So will the Prime Minister stop hiding the truth and show Canadians what he's actually made of and tell Canadians how many times he's met with the Ethics Commissioner? I'm uh, happy to work with the Ethics Commissioner to answer any questions that she may have. Okay, so... (laughs) 
Yeah, a little frustration from the opposition members there, understandably so. What's the point of question period if you're not going to answer the question? 974-8255. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.